When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to episode 119 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we talk about training within your limits. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond hey runners and welcome to episode 119 hello runners hey ryan how's it going pretty good how about you so far so good it's friday saturday sunday too <laughs> that's a cool video it is a cool video. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, it's um, YouTube it. Google it. What's what it called? It? Like La Faso or something? Yeah. I don't know. Friday night. Friday night? Yeah. yeah. And it's pretty funny. Yeah. So besides cracking jokes that um, I'm not that funny, we are Ryan and Letty. We have a weekly marathon running podcast where we talk about all things marathon. So it is Friday, August 26th, and we are officially... Very, very close to these fall races that we have lined up. We have, um, or not us, but other people have the Berlin Marathon, Chicago, London, and then later on, there's also the New York Marathon. So for that reason, we have a little bit of a inspired or audience inspired episode. So we got a message asking about a podcast on how to push yourself yet avoid injury through the back end of marathon training. So that is an interesting topic. And it's super appropriate to the time being. So what are some good things that people can do um, to stick with their training plan? But we're not talking about a motivational podcast. We're talking about how do we continue to avoid injuries as our training intensifies? Yeah. And then unfortunately, there's no perfect answer to it. But hopefully asking other people or some experts, we can get some insight as to how to balance that fine line between training to improve and overtraining to injury. Exactly. No perfect answer because obviously no runner is the same. Everybody has a different grade of experience and age and other variables, circumstances of life. But we reached out to head coach David Levine from the LA Roadrunners who frequently comes onto our podcast and gives us a lot of training tips. So we spoke with him for a bit. I'm interested to hear what he has to say. I think that, you know... But finding that balance between training and overtraining is difficult and, you know, you have to learn how to listen to your body. Exactly. And the underlying thing with all that is, of course, where did you get your training plan from? Because a training plan is, well, there's a ton of them online, but then, you know, are you more looking towards catered training towards you where somebody listens to you and listens to your experience week by week? Or are you trying to adapt to a program that you can find online that just gives you a weekly what to do, which can also work, but then obviously you have to be a little bit more in tune and pay attention a lot more to your signals that the body gives you. 
Yeah, I think a training plan, like you alluded to, any of those, any different types, some better than others maybe, but at least gives you a baseline as to to not overdo something. Yeah, um, if they're if they're good ones, right? Yeah. But then, of course, you could write your own <laughs> and completely sabotage that. So I guess, you know, finding something online from a good source is better than writing your own. But then, of course, training by an experienced coach is always, you know, if it's a good coach, again, probably the best thing you can do. But with all that said, you will have, you will experience signs of fatigue and all that stuff is pretty normal as you get closer to your marathon because you usually go through, I don't know, 16 to 20 weeks of marathon training and it's inevitable that eventually the load becomes increasingly higher and makes you a little bit more tired. Yeah, and I would say you can always make your own training plan, but I agree. It's like, it's always hard. I think even that's why most professional athletes have coaches because even if they're the top of the game of whatever sport they're at, you know, and how, how would someone that's coaching them make them improve because they're the best already. But it's always good to have that outside insight or, you know, perspective to help. Exactly. Just like with anything in life, constructive criticism um, is good for you. So anyway, so like I said, we're going to have David Levine on here. And uh, Ryan, are you ready to listen to the coach? As you would say, without further ado. We're now going to play our conversation with David Levine. All right. So I'm back on here with David Levine, head coach of the LA Roadrunners. David, thank you uh, for coming back on and welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. And thanks for having me on. Thank you. So yeah. uh, for the listeners that haven't heard of you, can you please just let us know again who you are and what you do and how you're an expert in the area of coaching and uh, oh. for this purpose of the podcast? Well, I've, I've been a certified coach for, I think, about 18 years now. And every week I coach a, a weekly for about, she's about 17 years. Uh, I've been coaching a track workout. And I also coach a bunch of different groups. I'm a coach for, like you said, the LA Marathon sponsored LA Roadrunners. And um, so I create the training plans for the LA Marathon that they post online and, and all of that stuff. And I'm a level two USA track and field coach, level two USA triathlon coach. And I wrote the book, The Complete Idiot's Guide, co-wrote to marathon training, one of those complete idiot's guide books, like the dummies guides. And the, so I didn't name the book. It's, it's, it's part of the series of complete idiot's guides to marathon training. Awesome. Anyway. Awesome. Thank you. So now that we all know that we are in good hands, I wanted to bring you back on <laughs> and <laughs> talk to you about a listener question. Um, we got a message Hello. from Michelle, who is basically asking us about how to push yet avoid injury through the back end of a marathon training. Mm -hmm. So she's basically wanting to know how much rest versus how much to keep going as she doesn't want to get hurt. Like many of the runners right now, she is training for a marathon hers is towards the end of October. And at the time of writing this message, she had just completed her first 18 miler. It's three weeks later. So she's got about two months left. And uh, you and I talked about it a little bit that she probably just has five to six weeks longer of really stressing her body before she will go to um, not hibernation. What's it called? <laughs> uh, uh, taper. So you wanted to tackle that question with you. Great. 
Um, several questions that, that I would, you know, I, I think as a coach, the, the key is you, you don't ever just answer a question. You always ask a question first so you really can define what it is. So since we can't really define more of what it is that's that's causing her to fear getting injured, because it sounds like she's not really injured, but she's fearing injury. Um, let's give like a whole broad spectrum of answers. And hopefully one of them will click with her. And maybe your audience will also learn, you know, a fair amount. So there, I find there are three issues that really cause injury. And then we'll go from there. The first one is uh, tightness and weakness. If, if you're tight or you're weak and you're doing these long, long runs on the weekend and you're kind of loading all the work like most of us do onto the weekend, by the way, pro athletes don't usually do that. And that's a whole, that's later in this discussion. But if you're loading all that work onto a long run on the weekend and you're, you're, you're starting to get beaten up and torn apart, you know, probably you need to work on flexibility. You need to work on tightness, meaning stretching and strength training so that you can go farther and farther and farther. Um, strength training is a great thing for all of us to do to make sure that we're kind of like, injury proof we're kind of bulletproof and i highly recommend strength training once a week minimally everyone is different i am thin you know so and letty you too you could probably benefit from a little strength training you are a thin person people who are like you know built like football players or truck drivers probably don't need as much strength strength training they mean need more stretch but all of us, generally speaking, except for those huge muscle-bound people, probably need a little strength training. The funny thing is, is the people who are kind of muscle-bound got it probably because they were strength training, and they usually tend to continue strength training as well, and they don't get injured because they're so strong and they can take that pounding. That said, the second thing would be um, running form. You know, if you if you have weird running form, you could you could uh, get injured. Now, a lot of running form also has to do with flexibility and strength. So, if you don't have the right flexibility and strength, I can't get you to have proper running form. Even though I can explain it to you and show it to you, you you, you go back to your old norm because you don't have the flexibility or strength. So, there is that first thing. The third would be like equipment like running shoes, uh, maybe even orthotics. Um, but the, really, if you got the first two, you don't really need the third. Um, I, I heard a, a nationals level triathlon coach locally once say that, you know, I don't completely agree with this, but he actually said, if, you know, you're a good enough runner, you don't really need to worry about shoes. You can run in any shoes. Now, for very heavyweight people, for people who are tighter or weaker, I don't agree with that. You know, you, you but the shoes then become kind of like a crutch to keep you going because you're avoiding the first two things, the flexibility of strength and the running form. So um, that's where shoes come in. Um, so then there are other things that we can get into. Okay, so. perfect. Obviously, there are a lot of variables that we need to discuss. Um, every person is different. Are you a new runner, an experienced runner, or where did you find your training plan? Um, perhaps you can talk about those few things a little bit. Yeah, uh, training plans are critical. Here's the interesting physiology of what happens with training. 
as your volume is going up and up and up and up, and I'm showing the, you with my hand, and of course, no one's seeing this because it's audio only, uh, but um, as your, your volume is increasing up and up and up and up, unlike, a, you know, an angle upward, your hormone levels are going down and down and down and down and down on the same downward angle that your volume is increasing, if you can imagine that. So the problem is, is if your hormone levels are going down and down and down and down, and you're getting more and more, a lot of, a lot of people just keep going more and more and more and more and more and more and more, you know, midweek, weekend, more and more and more and more. And that's the way they do it on a steady incline of volume. And the problem with that is you start becoming more and more and more and more fatigued. You start getting to a point where I don't want to run. I, because all men and women have at least a little testosterone that motivates you to get out in the morning and start running. And when you find you have no motivation to go out in the morning and running and you're really, really tired and you're just this malaise of fatigue has taken over your entire body. You probably have been doing more and more and more and more and more to a point of you need recovery. You need rest. You need, you might even need an entire week of doing nothing that might benefit you. But certainly we all need interval weeks of taper at 40 to 50% less than what we did the previous week. So in other words, you need to do 60 to 50 to 60% of the week you did previous, if that makes sense, or you're dropping, you're doing 40 to 50% less. That makes sense, right? So around half of what you did the week previous, right? Maybe a little more. Um, what that does, that taper will enable that, that drop in volume will enable your hormone levels to go up in the, the opposite direction that they've been going. They're no longer going down. They're now going up. So that gives you a week of recovery. Now, if you're doing really long mileage, you know, I don't care about what you do in a day. That's pretty much meaningless to me. It matters what you're doing in a week. And if you're getting up to like 50, 60 miles in a week, especially if you're a little older, I mean, that's a lot for someone in their 70s, but um, your hormone levels are going to go down and down and down. And you're really, really, really going to need to take a week of taper to get those hormone levels back up, which will give you one, that motivation for more testosterone. Two, will give you more energy. Three, will give you hormones that rebuild muscle tissue. So the problem is, is if your hormones are going down and down and down and down and down, uh, you're getting less ability to rebuild muscle tissue and you're doing more and more and more and more and more, which is just like, wow, that's like a real, uh, I, I, you're headed in the wrong direction toward injury, right? Do the math. If you're, re, if you're breaking up muscle tissue more than you're rebuilding them, it's just a matter of time before, you know, that, that soreness becomes an injury. I mean, you have billions and billions of these little tiny muscle filaments that are like submicroscopic. And when you start breaking up hundreds and thousands of them, that's soreness. When you start breaking up millions of them, that's an injury, right? So um, you're, if you're not rebuilding them fast enough because you don't have human growth hormone, creatine kinase, those are hormones that rebuild muscle tissue because you've been doing two more and more and more and more and more volume, you're just headed toward injury, right? So that may be where this woman is. 
She just needs an interval taper every e- after either three weeks when you really get up there in volume, like I started to say, 50, 60 miles, definitely maybe like every two weeks, depending on your age, if you're 18 to 20, maybe you can go three weeks and then taper, three weeks and then taper, right? But you do need these interval taper weeks. I, I have people up at 60 miles, <clears throat> headed up to 80 miles in their 40s, and they're doing a build week, taper week, build week, taper week, build week, taper week, because that's what they need. And they're getting through it. They're getting a lot of volume and they're building and they're having faster times because to get faster, it's really about more volume. But how do you do more volume without getting injured, which is exactly what this woman is asking. So interval tapers are really critical. There's a great book called, not very creative name, called Tapering and Peaking by a guy named Inigo Mojica, something like that. M-U-J-I-K-A, Mujica, uh, from Bath University. They did a lot of studies there on tapering and peaking. Hence the name of the book, Tapering and Peaking. <laughs> it's on Amazon. You can find it. Um, but that's a critical component. Um, there, so there you go. Perfect. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I mean, I, I love your answer and I love the fact that you kind of, without wanting to pointed out how important it is to have a good training plan, you know, not, not just mm-hmm. one online, but also taking into consider taking into consideration the variables of your lifestyle, how old you are, how busy you are, which brings me to the next question. Um, you were saying how this periodized training plan can help your hormones, but perhaps you can also let us know how the fact that during those times you get more rest, how important rest is to complete a training plan. Mm, great question. Um, there was a triathlete from the United States who won gold in the Rio Olympics um, named Gwen Jorgensen. And I never met her, but I read that she said she won gold because she got nine hours of sleep. That's what she felt because, you know, in triathlon and the Olympics, they come in one right after another off the bike, and then they got to run outrun each other on the run, right? And the same thing with the swim. They're one right after another. And, you know, any one of them could win the the whole thing. But there needs to be a designing factor. And what was for her that she felt um, won her gold in the Olympics. Keep in mind, she was a great runner, a decent cyclist and a good swimmer. But, um, you know, she was at Olympic level to begin with. But what her what put her over the top to win gold was she felt nine hours of sleep a night. And I've read this, that studies indicate, I know no one, no one gets this. No one gets this volume of sleep, but we endurance athletes do benefit from nine hours of sleep a night, at least eight hours of sleep. I actually heard a lecture a long time ago from a, a kind of upper level national level coach from Colorado who I also never met. I listen to all these people I never meet, you know, or read about. And he felt that he had a rule. You cannot show up at a workout and and swim, bike, or run as a triathlon coach um, unless you had at least minimum of six hours of sleep. And he worked with a lot of younger people in their 20s who, you know, traditionally don't always get six hours of sleep. 
But that was the rule. If you don't get at least six hours, you can't even work out. You, you need to go home and sleep. Not allowed. That was a rule. I think that's a really good rule. Um, sleep is so critical. And the intriguing thing is how all this kind of fits together is your first hour of sleep is where you get the most volume of hormone regeneration. And then throughout sleep, your greatest volume of cellular regeneration, right? Rebuilding muscle tissue. So, you know, you may need, like, if you get to a point where you're overtraining, where you're at that physical level, where you're just exhausted all the time, you're, you're, your um, testosterone levels are, are way down. Um, I, men and women, like I said, all have some minimal, at least testosterone, but your hormone levels are way down. Your muscles are sore, whatever it is. You're just, this malaise of fatigue has, we've all felt this, that just entered you all day long. You're just exhausted all day long. You probably need to take, uh, you know, some some time off to rebuild hormones and get more sleep and if you don't get enough sleep you may go into overtraining more quickly right so if you get more sleep you're rebuilding hormones you're you're rebuilding muscle tissue you, you know you may not need as much a taper you know on the other hand if you don't you probably need more taper so you won't be able to build as much so you won't be as fast on race day so it all kind of goes hand in hand yeah, I can see that. Um, and so obviously there is no substitute for sleep. We can't um, take a magic yeah. pill that helps us feel more rested. But what are you suggesting for people that are in the phase of their life, either, I don't know, with a newborn or small little kids or two jobs when they train for a marathon? Should they just be looking at maybe not putting it all out there and not pushing as hard as they could just because that way they could prevent their injuries and then wait for a different phase in their life where they have a little bit more rest? Um, by, by the way, before we answer that question, and it's an important question, and yeah, I do have an answer for that, but there are illegal ways of getting around the lack of sleep and lack of recovery and all that, but they do, not only are they illegal and you can get kicked out, but of racing, but there are also long-term side effects that are really, really bad. And they cause you to do things like among others, die younger. So I am not recommending those illegal, you know, methods of, you know, whatever. Um, and even caffeine, which is illegal up to a certain level, even caffeine, you know, a lot of people use caffeine to get them going, get them motivated, get them energized. And even that, you know, you're, you, it's like putting a Band-Aid on something. Um, you're really not getting the full recovery. You're really not going to be at your full potential unless you really get sleep and you don't need caffeine. You know, I, I think caffeine is a wonderful thing. Um, I drink coffee on occasion. I, I, I recommend caffeine on race day, you know, especially toward the last few miles of a marathon. That's a whole different topic. But caffeine to get you going and energized in lieu of sleep is not a good thing because you, you still need to rebuild those hormone levels and muscle tissue, all that stuff. So, okay. Now, what do you do? And I actually, on my level two certification for triathlon, had this as a question. The, the woman only had so many hours a day to train. Um, how the hell do you get, you know, through this? 
And I came up with a creative answer that I'll, I'll share with you. And it has to do with percentage levels of intensity. Um, say you only have like one hour to train like every other day, which I think was kind of what this woman, the fake woman had for my, my test for my certification. Um, so what I did was, is I, 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 she had one hour like every other day. So she, she could not build at all. She had no time to do more, 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 more at all. Forget tapers, you know, forget all that. She still needed tapers, but she couldn't do more. She only had a limited volume of time. She had two kids, if I recall, like, like your scenario, like a lot of moms. She had no time to train and she was training for an Ironman. Okay. Swim, bike, run. That was even worse. So basically what I, I suggested in this thing and, and would work for moms is start with, you know, where you're at. Most moms have like a level that they're doing already, a steady level, you know, one hour every other day, whatever it is, whatever you can do. It's about volume. The more volume you get, the better. But I had them start with no high intensity whatsoever, zero high intensity. Keep in mind, you're not doing any more volume. You're just it's pretty much the same. If you do more volume, great. But this is the, the mom has no more time than what she's doing already. You know, one hour every other day, whatever. So no high intensity work, no threshold work, no repetition intervals, no track work, none of that. None of that on the swim, the bike, none of that. Well, you don't do that much on the swim anyway, but you could throw in a few speed work laps, you know, but that's forget the swim um, for the bike and the run. Um, I, just no high intensity work whatsoever, zero. And then as time progressed, add like, you know, after like six weeks, then add like 5% high intensity work and drop 5% of low intensity work. So suddenly you have a little bit of high intensity work. So it's the same amount of time, but now you're increasing and you do this, you add the high intensity work on a taper week. So some week when you're doing a little bit less, suddenly you add the high intensity work, but you also lower the low intensity work. You know, what the low intensity work would be like easy pace, conversational pace, aerobic pace. It's the same thing. It's slower than marathon race pace, right? Is the easy pace. Because keep them, don't forget, this is a whole other topic we've hit, is you get the same physiological and neurological changes from slower than marathon race pace and less risk of injury um, from not from slower than marathon race pace, right? So you get same benefits, less risk of injury going training slower than marathon race pace. So that's really where most of your training is anyway, that 80% from us normal, uh, most of us. Um, for those who are moms or just don't have the time, um, you could then up it 5% and drop time 5% of your easy pace, your you know, the slower than marathon race pace stuff. Um, then after another three or four, maybe six weeks, depending on the volume of time you have to train for this thing, um, then up at high intensity, 5% more and drop low intensity, 5% more. 
So now you're at 10% high intensity and 90% low intensity. Couple more weeks go by, 15% high intensity, 15% lower. So it would be 85 lower intensity, 15 higher. And then you peak at 20% high intensity and 80% low intensity, which is where a lot of us do our entire season. But for this person that just has no extra time to build at all, you, you, you only have an hour every other day or whatever. Um, I think this scenario was she had her mother-in-law would take the kids every other day for an hour. So that's all the training time she had, you know, I mean, that was it. And she still had to drop them off. And I recommended she could do strength training in her living room with the kids because they would love it. There are certain things that she could do stretching with the kids in the living room, you know, to add more time to her limited time already. Because kids enjoy that stuff. They like working out with mom, you know, something simple that they could do, lunges and squats and, you know, sit-ups and push-ups or whatever. Kids love that stuff with mom, you know, and they they launch them, the kids, on a whole lifestyle of exercise, you know. When mom's doing it, hey, this is cool, you know. And um, that's how I would get that mom through all of it. It's, it's not easy. Will they be at their peak level of ability? No, not really. But they'll be up there pretty good. You know, they'll, they'll do okay. And yeah. that, was, that was my answer. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great answer, David. <laughs> and I hope for that mom that her kids are all grown up now and out of the house. <laughs> From that, um, is there anything that you can tell us quickly about listen to your body. We hear that all the time. You know, there's oh. two sides to it, right? There's listen to your body. I feel a nagging injury. I should probably take it easy. Or there's the mental side, which I have a very weak mental game and I have no mm. shame in admitting it. My body will, my mind will always tell me, okay, maybe this is too much, but it's just that I emotionally can't handle, you know, the high intensity. So can you maybe tell us at what point, either feeling something in your head or feeling something physically, when should she kind of go back? You know, if you feel any ache or pain on any workout, um, especially if it's starting to get worse, you know, if you're just feeling like, gee, I starting to feel this ache and pain is starting to get worse. Stop. Because you don't want to turn a one day injury into a month injury or longer. You know, I mean, God forbid you you tear a muscle or something, which is basically, you know, an ache is, like I said, some muscle filaments broken. An injury is a lot of muscle filaments broken. So, you know, an ache is telling you we're on the road to, to a serious something worse, right? So if it's getting worse, it's a pain. If the ache is getting worse at all, just stop. Wherever you are, walk home, get an Uber or something, or get somebody to pick you up or whatever. Um, if it doesn't hurt to walk on, yeah, walk. Whatever you can do, that's a wonderful thing. You can always run in water to maintain. You can't really build by running in water. They're these aqua jogger things, they like th three inch thick rubber vests that you can kind of snap around you, one size fits all. And, um, run in water to maintain, you know, your endurance ability. But, um, you know, if, if you're getting worse, uh, stop and it's okay. I always say heal first, train second. If you're not getting worse, if you are getting better, run after run after run, right? The next day you start up again, 
And, you know, you may want to take a day off, but the next day, if you're start up again and immediately feel at the same level and it's getting worse, um, then, you know, you really need to seriously start stretching, gently stretching more, strength training more, doing all those physical therapy things and not running because it's getting worse. That's horrible. If it's getting better, okay, you, that's where you can what they call run through it if it's getting better. If it's not getting better, you really need to heal before race day or you're just not going to have what's the point? You know, you're not going to do as well on race day with an ache. Maybe it's not getting worse. Maybe you can run with it. But, you know, it's not going to help you out on race day. Certainly it will hamper you. The other problem is the question is a lot of people will start running and the pain will go away. And then it will come back and it's worse in the morning when they get up. So that's a pretty good example of tightness. You know, you're like, you're really tight. You've broken up some muscle tissue and it goes away because as you run, your muscle warms up and it loosens up and it loosens up and the running becomes the stretch. Well, what you really need to do gently is longer stretching. Um, and I've read uh, three minutes gentle stretching for that muscle, really gentle, especially if you're achy at all. You don't want to be a stretch in pain. Don't stretch and in, in cause pain. That's just going to make it worse. That'll break up more muscle tissue. But if it doesn't hurt to stretch or certainly stretch the muscles around that area, if you can't stretch that muscle, you can certainly stretch muscles around it. Um, do a little strength training, no pain, again, no achiness, but strengthening muscles are around where it doesn't hurt to strength train um, and rebuild that muscle, so to speak, um, or support the muscles around it before you can rebuild that muscle. But stretching three minutes gently with little uh, breaks every 10 seconds. So, you know, you're, you're stretching and 10 seconds and then break and 10 seconds, stretch and break and 10 seconds, stretch and break just a second or two break and then right back into it. Um, so you're not stretching too long, too hard, um, where you're going to injure yourself. That's why you do these little interval breaks, but for three minutes or runners world magazine actually talked about this in an article I read more recently, a minute and a half gentle stretching every six days of the week. So six days of the week, stretching that muscle that, you know, is your issue um, six days of the week for a minute and a half or three minutes to more permanently elongate that muscle. Because a lot of people stretch for 30 seconds and then the next day they have the same issue. It's their achiness until they start, you know, after two, three miles you know, and they're stretching during their run, basically. <clears throat> well, that's no good because you can get injured that way. So um, that's that's the answer to, you know, be running through your injury. You don't really want to run through the injury somewhere you want to heal. And, and that that's kind of the scenario to healing. But here's the thing, the mental thing. Um, you have and there's a great book. There aren't that many out there on this topic, but there's a great book called Endure by Alex Hutchinson. It's a great book on this very topic of the mental game, you know, and it doesn't just touch on runners. It has to do with all sorts of people and mountain climbing and whatever. But anyway, 
Um, you have governors in your brain. You know, 90% of your brain is subconscious, completely unaware of you. You know, for example, at no given time in your life, are you aware at all aware of your spleen, your kidneys, your liver, your pancreas, all these vital organs, you are never, ever even aware of them. You may not even know what they do, you know, unless you've read something that tells you what they do. So most of your mind, most of your cerebral processes are completely unaware to you, unconscious, subconscious, whatever you want to call it. So with that in mind, we do things like bonk, hit the wall, get to a point where we just can't do more speed work because you have a governor. It's not so much that you've completely run out of glycogen, that that's the reason you hit the wall, bonk, crash, burn, whatever you want to call it. Um, but that you've gone low in glycogen, lower in glycogen, and your brain says, okay, we have this governor, our, we are programmed to at this level, shut it down. And your brain will shut you down. You will be running at one moment and suddenly I just can't, no, no pain, no aches, no nothing, just I cannot go on anymore. Your brain has just shut you down. Now, the interesting thing about that is, yes, it's important, a critical thing to listen to your body. Um, for a marathon, the way, well, the way you overcome that is two ways. One, strength training, so you're not getting sore or fatigued legs. But the other one is um, take in carbohydrate along the way. So the nutrition in your race is a critical key component to not crashing and bonking and burning, going out too fast and raising your heart rate too high. So you're not using up too much glycogen on a marathon. So you don't crash and burn, but that's a whole different topic on how to run a marathon um, and taking in carbohydrate. You need a lot of carbohydrate. If you can get in 60 milligrams of carbohydrate per hour and something you need to test out because most of us might not be able to get that. More than that, most people can't do. But up to that, 60 milligrams, think about it. Your gel is only 26 milligrams of carbohydrate. That 26, that's not even half, right? 60 milligrams of carbohydrate, 60, excuse me, 60 grams of carbohydrate. So uh, that's a lot of carbohydrate to take in for an hour. Most of us never get in close to that. All right. But for training purposes, getting back to Endure and Alex Hutchinson and this idea of limiters of a governor, you can override that governor to a point. Um, again, like I said, there are factors that could go into that, like overtraining, not enough carbohydrate. But let's just focus on the psychological thing. Um, you can overcome that governor with training. In other words, if you train to a point where you, you hit the wall or you train to a point where you can't go on anymore, you recover, you taper, you do less. Then you come back with all your hormone levels and all that. Again, tapering could cause you not to be able to go as far and as fast as you normally might otherwise be able to do because you're doing too much without tapering. But say you come back and you're on the perfect schedule for you and keep in mind, schedules need to change. You know, if your kid keeps you up all night long and you don't have the, 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 the sleep, you may not be able to do a track workout or a speed workout 
um, because you're just exhausted. You know, you may need to go back and sleep and take a day off. Your schedule may need to change. So just because it's on a schedule doesn't mean you got to do it. You may need to flip days, take a couple days off, whatever. Anyway, you can overcome those governors, those limiters that are on you um, by going to that level of burnout. Keep in mind, that's also can lead to injury. You know, listen to your body. Are you aching? Are you in pain? You know, stop. Don't go any farther. But if you do go to that level of where your governor is shutting you down, um, next time you could probably go a little farther. Your body compensates and says, oh, okay, that's not so bad. I can do this. You know, you, and there are also a lot of physiological elements that go into that. You know, when you're first starting out, you don't have any kind of a base whatsoever. A base would be where lactic level, lactic acid levels are on the increase, increase, increase with your heart rate. As your heart rate goes up and up and up and up, you're causing your body to generate more lactic acid, more discomfort, right? When you train more and more and more and more volume, especially at low heart rate work, this is another key for a low heart rate training, you develop what's called a base where your heart rate is going up and up and up and up, but your lactic acid levels, your, your, your stress levels aren't going up at all. They're just staying pretty darn level. And I could show you charts of this. Um, an expert runner versus uh, a beginner runner. So the beginner runner right off the bat is like, oh my God, I'm stressing, I'm stressing, I'm stressing. Where the person who has more and more volume of low heart rate work is like, hey, I'm comfortable. My heart rate's going up. I'm good. You know, I feel no stress. That's why Kenyan runners can go as fast as they can go for as long as they can go. And they don't look like they're really stressing. Do they? You know, they look like, okay, this is kind of comfortable. Thank you so much, David, for this, uh, you know, amazing, always a lot of information that you provide us with. I'm super grateful for it. Great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, David, again, for all your knowledge that you share with us. And anything else from you, Ryan? No, I hope people find the information useful and that they can learn over time, I think, to, you know, follow a training plan or cater themselves or cater their training plan to themselves and learn how to do that with experience and prevent injury. Yeah. And always, as always, listen to your body. <laughs> yeah. That was the other thing I was going to say is like, listen to your body. Yeah. So if it starts hurting, then maybe back off the progression, but not as, you know, physiotherapists, Brody Sharp, is that what his name was? Yeah. As Brody Sharp would say in some of your older podcasts, not to just quit running, but you just, you kind of like slow your progression to let your body heal. So it still gets some of that um, exercise so it can heal, but you're not trying to push it too much where it can't heal. Unless it's, of course, a fracture. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's obviously exceptions. Yeah. 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 Typically, if you have, yeah, if you have a major injury, you just need to let it heal. Yeah. But if you have like, nagging injuries that are just minor those are the ones that are always hardest to get rid of too and you think sometimes maybe just if i stop it'll go away and that's not even though that seems the most intuitive way it's not actually what happens it's like your body kind of still needs all that stress and that exercise in order to grow stronger so 
it's a okay. balance. It's I I've, I found that hard myself. You know, doing sports growing up, it's just like something hurts, and then you you try and it gets better, and you're like, oh, I don't feel it, so you try harder, and then you, it hurts even more, and then you're like, oh, okay, now I got to back off, and then it's a really it's a tight it's a tough balance. It is a tough balance, and and like we heard from David in the podcast, you know, you don't want to turn in you don't want to turn a one day injury into a months long injury. So I did that a lot when I was younger. I think we all do because all of us are kind of type A, and we want to get something done, and we refuse to be injured. Really, that's like remember when I broke my toe and I refused to get an X ray because I didn't want to <laughs> hear that it was broken. So yeah, I would always like. I would always like say, oh, I, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I'm still injured. Let me see if I can feel it. And so I'd push it a little bit and push it a little bit. And say, okay, yeah, now I can feel it again. <laughs> but then it would never heal. So <laughs> anyway. All right. So that's it for today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope, like we said, this was helpful for you. You can find us on Facebook. Our group is called Speed Striders. And you can find and follow us on Instagram at Running Podcast. Until next time. Happy running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running. <laughs>